Coming to you from the greatest city in the world, this is the number one showbiz podcast. It's Talk for Two. Here's your host, Matt Bailey. Thank you, Gary, and thanks, as always, to our season sponsors, Axtel Expressions and the Tangent Bound Network. Welcome, everybody, to something that is just really, really cool. I've never done anything like this before, but it's kind of my fault that we have to do something like this in the first place. I have a confession to make. Sometimes I do an interview, and for one reason or another, I just don't air it. You might have seen me allude to this or read that I've alluded to this in promoting what we're calling the From the Vault series on Talk for Two. And it's like I said, it's a variety of reasons. Sometimes the timing isn't right. We do the interview and by the time it gets to it in the queue that the moment is just missed. The files are lost on my drive and that's happened. Another project comes along that I have to work on and I have to turn my attention from doing this podcast more frequently. Or, shocker, because I do have a stellar work ethic 95% of the time, I just get lazy and I'm like, I'll air that later, it can it can be whenever, and then a year or two goes by and it's hidden on my drive somewhere, and so we're digging back into those files on these special episodes, and like I said, I'm dubbing it The Vault because they've been locked away. Now, in this instance, I conducted this interview shortly before getting hired at my current real job. I had just wrapped up airing the Comic-Con episodes, and I had some things in the queue, and I was about to air this gentleman, and I shut it down completely uh, to focus on this career opportunity that I had. Now, it has been way too long since I had a chat with Victor Yared. Uh, I can hear all you non-puppet people asking, who is Victor Yared? Well, like the rest of the world last year, and maybe you're doing it now because we're all stuck at home, did you binge watch Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance? Yeah, he's Hup, that adorable little podling who was the breakout star of the series. He's the voice, he's the puppeteer, and he also puppeteered Skekzok slash the Ritual Master and several other minor characters. In addition to his work with Henson, Yared is the puppet captain on the Comedy Central hit Crank Yankers. When he's not performing at the pinnacle of puppetry success, Yared can be found on his myriad YouTube channels, Making Mayhem. In this interview, Yared and I talk about puppets, comedy, and whether the scale of the Netflix Dark Crystal series permits a season two. Victor's answer may surprise you. Here now to tell us all about the outpouring of love from the Hup stands that are out there. And I know some of you are listening to this. Hashtag Hup. Hashtag Dark Crystal. Hashtag Victor Yared. Including some of that gorgeous fan art that he gets. Our interview with Victor Yared. Victor Yared, welcome to the show. How are you, sir? I'm very good. Thank you for having me, Matt. Oh, well, thank you for agreeing to do this. I absolutely loved the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance on Netflix. That was, it was beautiful. It was amazing. What were your thoughts on that final, pro- before we jump into everything, I got to know, when you saw it for the first time fully completed, what did you, what did you think? Well, first of all, I love it too. I was honored and like just so excited to be a part of this thing. And, you know, uh, when we were shooting, um, you know, all those sets um, were real and the puppets were real and they, and they did fill in, you know, deep background with CG, but we were seeing a pretty amazing picture on the monitors while we were shooting. So I had some 
sense of what it was going to be like. But then, of course, when it's fully finished and colored and, you know, backgrounds are filled in, it just it just felt, you know, you, it's really just like a sense of completion where you see the whole vision kind of executed. And, you know, some shows you get to that point and you're like, oh, I, I wish they had done this a little differently or, oh, I didn't think they were going to do it that way. But I got to tell you, man, start to finish, I just uh, am blown away by the final product and, and as uh, excited still to be a part of it as I was before we started shooting. Oh, that's wonderful. How did you become attached to it and how did you find out what your character was going to be, the wonderful Hup Podling? How did you, how'd, yeah. how'd that pre production go for you? <laughs> well, um, I had heard uh, through the grapevine. Uh, that they were doing this sizzle reel mm -hmm. um, to sort of test out the show. And so I uh, reached out to the, the producers and um, just told them, you know, how much I wanted to be a part of it. And, and they needed a, a fair amount of people. So I got, I was lucky enough to get to work on it. And that was here in LA. Um, and then when I found out that the show got picked up, they told, they told me, you know, it's going to be shot in England. So it's going to be mostly UK puppeteers and they're only going to take a couple Americans and they said the only way that that you'd be able to be a part of it is if they are if there's a role that they can't cast mm -hmm. and and it turned out uh it to be exactly that that they didn't find a hub uh puppeteer that they you know were sold on so they wanted to have additional auditions here in america uh and i auditioned for it and, and got the part so it was really just like you know half uh, luck and happenstance that they, that it was even uh, something that I could audition for. And then I just, you know, I have done a fair amount of improv shows where, where you improvise in gibberish. Mm -hmm. And I love that. I love, I love that, um, giving meaning to words that are, are not meaningful, um, within the improv format. So that's what the audition was. They didn't have any language created. It was just you, they would give you an English line and you would do a gibberish interpretation of it. So I kind of did my, you know, my best sort of podling ease, uh, based on, you know, the, the original movie. And then when it came time to do the show, completely different situation. They had, uh, Jolie, the wonderful Jolie, my friend, uh, created this entire, uh, podling language. And so then it, it all became very real and you were saying words that really did have meaning and that did translate um, into something very specific. So it was just, you know, dream job, like getting a role like this, you know, the, the writing is superb. And so, you know, he's this little uh, guy that wants to be a hero. I mean, you can't really go wrong with a part like that. So I just felt very lucky to kind of walk into that role. That it's beautiful, and I'm loving to see all of the fan art that you're posting all over the internet. The the people that are coming back to you is this reaction to Hup surprising? I think he's the breakout character. Of that whole show is it's amazing. It's very surprising, and um, number one, the fan art blows my mind. I I try to like download all of it because I just I just want to say forever, but. I, I like can't keep up. There's so every day there's, you know, so many new great little pictures of him. And so I save as many as I can, but, um, but yeah, you know, it is surprising. I mean, I take a small part of the credit for it, but a, a lot, a lot of it has to go to, um, Brian Froud, who, who designed this character and Pete Brook who sculpted him and, and also to the writers who, who created this guy. And, and, um, I knew that I loved the character, 
But, you know, when you make TV, when you make movies, you never know if anybody's going to like the show. You never know if anybody's going to like the character. So it's always a surprise when people respond, you know, positively to it and, and you know, obviously a welcome one. Uh, I knew I had to interview after I saw the show because, again, <laughs> the character is just amazing. Is it true? And you, oh, responded, you, you responded to me, funnily enough, while we were watching the two-hour documentary that comes after you watch The Dark Crystal, you watch this documentary on the making of it that's also on Netflix, and Joe Lee said something, and I want you to elaborate on this, that you are writing that man emails in podling. <laughs> well, I think there's probably truth, some truth to that. I don't know if it was fully in podling, but, you know, look, it's hard because you want to learn this language, but yeah. there's, nobody, there's nobody to talk to. You know, and just like learning... Italian or French or Japanese or whatever language you want to learn, the mm -hmm. best way is to immerse yourself in the in the culture and to like speak to people that speak that language. And Joe's the only guy I can talk to, so so I think we probably did trade some some uh, mainly podling emails, but there was probably always a little bit of English in there. <laughs> <laughs> it was just it was one of those things that stuck out in my mind. It's just absolutely absolutely hysterical. How grueling was this process? of shooting The Dark Crystal compared to other Henson projects that you've done, compared to other puppetry projects that you've done? Because I think you, and this isn't just me stroking your ego, this is me reading your credits and making a critical judgment. I think you are one of the most prolific puppeteers working today just because of your body of work and, and everything that you're doing. How does this stack up in terms of the workload to the other things that you've been working on? Well, first of all, that is extremely kind of you to say. I, I really do appreciate that, and, and um, I, you know, it's, it's a very nice thing to say. Um, you know, this show was hard. Uh, it was hard for a few reasons. One is, um, you know, I, I got to do a, a Podling, uh, a Skeksis, and Ooh. also a Gelfling that played Tylen. And the the Gelfling are just hard. Yeah. They really they can quickly fall into this um, this uh, this realm where they either seem too puppety because you're moving your arm too much, or they seem dead. They look they look like a dead doll if you don't move enough because they're the faces are so close to humans. So it, it's it's just tough to really find that pocket where they look believable and alive, uh, but not overdone. So that was a super hard challenge. And then it was challenging just because, um, you know, we would do lots and lots of takes and lots and lots of coverage. You know, when you have a show with a, with a really nice budget and you're trying to achieve really high production values, you do more takes and there's a lot more attention to detail. And so we didn't do, they don't really do um, much overtime. Uh, they didn't do much overtime on this project, but the days were full beginning to end. There was not a lot of, rest in between and you just had to you know keep your arm up and, and go take after take but the wonderful thing about that is that because you're doing so much coverage and so many takes you really can get it right you know those first several takes often are you discovering uh are you discovering what it it should be and what you want it to be and what the director wants it to be and so it can take you a while to really get there to where it's all clicking and your chemistry with the other performers in the scene is really, um, you know, there. And so it's a real gift to be able to work at that kind of a pace where you're doing essentially, it, you know, we're doing an episode a month. 
Mm-hmm. And that's a real luxury, especially in puppet shows. I've never worked on anything where we had even close to that amount of time to, to uh, you know, shoot these scenes. And so that was really just a wonderful, wonderful uh, gift. So you were in London for almost a year. Yeah, 11 months. Wow. Yep. Uh, did your family get to come visit? Did, was that hard being away from them? So, you know, when you when you get a dream job like this, it, it, it's hard. You don't want to whine about, you know, the things that are not good about it. Right. But that really was that really was for me the, the hardest part was being away from my wife and my three beautiful daughters. And I, you know, I did get to go home. There were a couple hiatuses um, that I got to go home and visit. But for a lot of it, I was away from them. And, it, you know, it's, it's like you you have this um, amazing day where you're on set working on the dark crystal and you know, it's just like you're on cloud nine and you have all this adrenaline. And then I come home to my little empty apartment and like, I have pictures of my daughters all up over it. And I'm just like sitting there on the couch. Yeah. And I guess, well, I guess I'll read a book. You know, it's <laughs> just like, I'll work on, I'll work on podling and see what I can memorize today. You know, but that said, um, they came over with me for the entire summer, my wife and my girls. Oh, wow. And at that point, you know, I'm in this beautiful city, London. I work on the Dark Crystal during the day. I'm with my family at night. And every weekend we go to, you know, Stonehenge or Paris or Buckingham Palace. So, like, I did have the conscious thought, like, oh, this is really the best my life is ever going to be. Like, this is uh, this is all downhill from here. You can't beat this, you well, know. <laughs> since it was such a grueling schedule and this was kind of the main thing I wanted to ask you is, do you think there will be a season two? I mean, don't give away anything you're not supposed to, but do you think they'll do this again, or, or do you think this really was a miniseries, give it everything they have, and just, that's it? No, I, I think there there's definitely room for second and even a third season. I mean, obviously it was written, mm-hmm. um, you know, with a bit of a cliffhanger, what happens to Deed at the end, mm-hmm. and, you know, the Skeksis are are still, you know, strong and scary. And, and obviously, you know, we're not at the point where the movie starts because there's still, you know, a whole world of Gelflin left. So um, story-wise, there's definitely room. And I think, you know, how nobody really knows how these decisions are made for Netflix or anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know, I know that if Netflix is willing to do more, I think certainly uh, there's room for it, and certainly all the puppeteers and the writers and, uh, you know, producers would, would want to do more. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, certainly my, my greatest hope at this point that that's a, a possibility. I'd love to see what happens to all these characters. We need more Hup. We need more Hup, I got to say. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> uh, now, since you said you were inside one of those Skeksis, my listeners will kill me if I don't ask you about that experience. And just, uh, were you the puppeteer or were you the second hand? What what were you doing in the Skeksis and what was that like? Yeah, so so there were there were twelve uh, core puppeteers on the show, and um, between us, uh, we did the majority of the the speaking parts. We may have done all the speaking parts. So right. So for for me, um, I got to play Hup. I got to play Kylan, and then my Skeksis was the Ritual Master. And wow. so that was the character that Jim uh, Henson had played. I think it was it was a voice by Jerry Nelson, but performed by by Jim Henson. And so I felt this like, you know, uh, pressure to not mess up uh, <laughs> this this character of you know the 
the father or grandfather of all of our, you know, of our puppetry that we're doing in this, in this specifically in this TV film medium. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I'm inside it. I'm doing the head and the voice and doing all the dialogue um, that, uh, you know, later got uh, dubbed by Keegan-Michael Key. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I was, I was in there all, uh, most of us were, were in, uh, in these um, puppets. Um, my friend Alice did the ornamentalist um, and they, they uh, kept her voice and Neil, uh, Sternberg did um, the uh, scroll keeper, and they kept his voice. Yeah. And they dubbed a lot of the other the other voices, but the performances were just phenomenal. Dave uh, Chapman did the emperor. Um, Warwick Brownlow Pike did the Chamberlain. And even though I love Simon Pegg's uh, Chamberlain, and I thought he was just phenomenal, Warwick's Chamberlain was really great. Like the voice was really spot on, um, and and his performance and his acting was great. Um, Helena Smee did um, the uh, most disgusting Skeksis ever, The Collector. Yes. Uh, I've got, who am I forgetting? Kevin uh, Clash did The General. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, I know I'm forgetting some. Who am I forgetting? Oh, uh, I, I'm forgetting them too because there were so many Skeksis and it was just, it's just beautiful. How did you stay hydrated in those things? Did you. That's the thing I watched that documentary. I'm like, wow, all that cloth, all that thick stuff, and just to be okay, in there wait, for hours. Wait, I have to tell you, okay, I can't forget them. Ollie Taylor did the scientist. I don't have anything in front of me, and I don't have my notes. I'm trying to remember. Ollie Taylor did the scientist. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, oh, no. Uh, Dame, uh, Damo uh, did the heretic. And gosh, is that all of them? I'm going to kick myself if I listen to this. The hunter. Later. The and, hunter. The Hunter. So actually, The Hunter was uh, Kevin uh, Clash did the the lip sync on The Hunter, but it was a bodysuit performer, Nick. Uh, oh, I don't want to cream his last name, Kellington. I hope that's right. Nick did the uh, did the body uh, for The Hunter, um, and actually for all these characters, the puppeteer would be inside it for the uh, three quarter shots, and then we had uh, we had uh, body performers do the the wide uh, shots and I can't list all of them because it's a whole other set but Terrace uh, did my did the uh, the ritual master with me and so so we worked together really closely and she was just uh, a delight and did a wonderful wonderful job so sorry that was I had to get all that out who your question was how did I say hydrate yeah we had we had a great team uh, of handlers that would uh, help me and and you know take the costume off as soon as or open it up and give us air and they'd give you air conditioning. Uh, and, um, God, I, you know what I should have done is I should have, uh, written down everybody's name before we started talking I'll know for the next interview, but yeah, they bring, you know, brought me water and, and AC and, and took the head off uh, my hand, you know, immediately. And because the ritual master was one of the heavier, uh, heads, um, I would not really put my hand in until right before we would shoot, and I would take it out as soon as we were done. And those guys were like, you know, they they like have to clear out of the shot like as soon as we start uh, going. And um, and uh, so Charlie or uh, Charlie would uh, stay in there with me until like the very end, and then run out and then come right back in as soon as we cut. And uh, they were just a wonderful, wonderful uh, team we had. 
Well, that's wonderful. And right. Rachel, I can't forget. I can't forget Rachel, who would she was always uh, on my team. I insisted she was on my team because she was uh, amazing. <laughs> well, it's wonderful that you were taken care of so so great that it allowed you to just kind of focus on the job and do what you needed to do. That's that's wonderful to hear. Uh, it just it sounds like it was the adventure of a lifetime, really. It, it truly it truly was, and 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 we were supported all around. You know, we had Wranglers. Um, uh, Jurgen Ferguson and Scotty Johnson were our leads, and mm-hmm. and we had uh, so many people around us that were caring for the puppets and helping us and taking them off our arms, and you know because some of those puppets that have the mechanics in them they do get get quite heavy, mm-hmm. and um, you know uh, Ali and Rosario were, were our other two uh, wranglers that helped us, and those guys were just they were just not only great at their job, but also just fun, great people to be around. And we all felt, I think everybody from, you know, every department felt like we're part of this project that we were so excited to be on because it was based on this amazing, you know, creative property that had come out of the Jim Henson company that we all loved. So I think everybody put love and care into it. Everybody took care of each other. And it was, it was one of those dream projects where you just, you're all, working towards, uh, you know, I think a common goal. And it was just, you know, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Dare I ask this question because I would never suppose you would, you would talk on behalf of Jim, but one thing they did mention in the doc is that he was never fully happy with the way the Gelfling were just, you know, from a practical standpoint and how they looked in the movie. What do you think having performed his Skeksis and having performed a a Gelfling, what do you think he would say about, the way they were made for this iteration. Do you think he'd be happy? Well, I think he, um, you know, my guess is that he would have loved the show in general. I Mm -hmm. mean, ultimately, I think, you know, everything I've seen and read about Jim Henson is that he was about the storytelling. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what was achieved. There's always imperfections. There's always stuff that, oh, maybe we could have done this different or, or shot this a little different. But I think we achieved um, telling a, a really compelling story, an exciting story, and I think he would have loved that. And I think we did it through puppetry really successfully, so I think he would have loved that too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, specifically on the Gelfling, I think there is that, you know, question of, you know, when something looks close to human, it makes it challenging to... There's an ambulance passing me, by the way. I don't sure. know if you do any cuts in your podcast. No, or that's if I fine. Just keep talking while this ambulance goes. Let's just hold <laughs> for mother- the let's hold for the siren, and then you can continue your answer. I'm so sorry. Don't uh, apologize at I, all. I, you made time to do fa- this. There are little phone sounds all along that my phone was making. I was like, ah. Um, but um, oh, in fact, maybe if I flip this button, I won't do that. Okay, sorry. Ambulance is gone. Um, so. You know, with the Gelfling in particular, um, you know, it is tough when they're so close to human. And, you know, you could say, well, what if we redesigned them and made them different and they tried them as CG and different things? Mm-hmm. But I think if you if you get too far away from that original look of the Gelfling, then it doesn't feel like fraud, doesn't feel like that original movie. So I think we stayed within the world that had been created I think we made improvements where we could, and I think we did our best to, to stay true to it but innovate. And I, I hope, you know, it's my hope that he would love it. And, and I think, you know, I think um, his daughter 
Lisa really loved what we did, and and you know maybe that's um, you know that's as much as we can hope for. Well, that's that's wonderful, and I think it's a true testament to Jim's legacy that Netflix called Lisa and said, "So, how much money can we throw at you to do it all practically?" <laughs> which was just wonderful, and the product is great. And I want to switch gears here and talk about a different project in the in the few minutes that we have left, because I sure. saw that you're going to be directing, and I know you are puppet captain on Crank Yankers. We go from <laughs> Dark Crystal to yeah. Crank Yankers. Talk about super that. Similar, super similar project, you know, <laughs> almost the same thing. Um, so, you know, Crank Yankers is a funny one. It's one of these shows that when we did the first season – um, I never thought it would go beyond that. Not because the, the calls weren't funny, not because the puppetry wasn't good. I just thought it was such a weird little concept. Nobody had mm-hmm. ever done this before, you know, reenacting crane calls with puppets. But, you know, sure enough, we ended up doing four seasons. And then 13 years go by, and all of a sudden I hear they're doing more. And, you know, that, like, you know, that never happened mm-hmm. in this business. So... It was it was a wonderful uh, surprise when um, when we found that it was coming back, and yeah, around let's say I think it was third season I became the lead puppeteer on it, and and I still do that role now in our fifth season, and um, and yeah, I just uh, last week and or this week in fact um, directed uh, on the show for the first time, which was really cool, um, really fun to try try a new thing out. Um, but that's that show is its own difficulty. It is by far the hardest show I've ever worked on mentally. Really? Why? Because, because you're memorizing these tracks, um, and we're trying to really specifically do the timing of people's natural uh, dialogue. So, you know, if you're on a kid's show, um, maybe it's a little sing-songy. When you, they, I've done other shows where it's the playback. And sometimes it's a little, you know, rhythmic or sing-songy, but these are just people talking norm, their normal conversational thing, and they're improvising, so there's a lot of ums and uhs and stutters, and and you have to get all these breaths and these nuances. So we spend hours working on these tracks. You know, we start usually two, three days out from when you're doing the call and memorizing the track, and and, you know, you spend a couple hours on it that first day, and then the day before – the call you're you're spending another couple hours but you're also learning your new call that's two days out and then on the day that you're doing the call you're reviewing that call and you've got your new call you learned last night and you're starting a third call so keeping that all in your brain is super challenging and the very first season we did it we kind of you know if you play back the track almost without any rehearsal you can kind of fake your way following along and 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 do a sort of half decent job vaguely knowing the track but there's a puppeteer named Paul McGinnis, who's one of my uh, close friends and just one of the puppeteers I admire and respect the most in the world. He came in, he did a little first season, but he came in second season as one of our main performers. And he raised the bar so high because he like really spent time learning it. And then we're, the rest of us are like, oh, great. Now we all have to like <laughs> try and match what Paul is doing. So it became like, you know, like uh, trying to top each other with how well we can do these calls. And, you know, there's so much blocking and, and prop work and background stuff that you have to know the call well to be able to lip sync while picking up something and walking over here and grabbing this thing. And so it's, it really, like, just pushes the, the boundaries of your, of your memory and your, your ability to multitask. And so crazy difficult, 
super, you know, goofy, you know, goofy, fun, frat boy humor. Um, and just like I said, you know, uh, another uh, really fun one to work on. I feel very lucky to, to be on that in the Dark Crystal. In fact, the last thing I'll say is that we I went to um, Comic-Con, uh, San Diego Comic-Con this year, and they have these giant uh, uh, trains that go by. And one uh, was passing me, and it, the, the side was completely um, decorated as Dark Crystal, had Dark Crystal art on the entire side of the train. And then from the other direction came a crank anchors one, and I was like, "Well, there. That's again. That, this is a height. My, I, I don't get to top this now." <laughs> that is great. That is awesome. Uh, my last, uh, actually, two more questions, and then we'll wrap. Sure. Um, for crank anchors, this may not be your department. I'm sure it's not, but you might know from how close production is. Does anybody ever catch on? Because, like, if Tracy Morgan calls me, I'm gonna know. Tracy Morgan is calling me like it's just it's almost comical that they're not realizing they're being pranked by a celebrity like does anybody ever catch on and you have a call well, you can't use it's funny you say that um there are calls where people catch on and they uh sometimes do not use those calls there are calls that you can hear the way the person's talking whether they know the celebrity or not you can tell that they know they're being pranked, um, you know, that there's, you just hear that kind of smile in their voice and, and that they've caught on. But um, I, I, I will say, um, if you watch this whole season, there is a call where you very specifically know that they have caught on, and you'll know it when you, when you hear it, but it's, uh, go back and listen to this podcast after you watch that episode, and you'll, you'll laugh at your own uh, insight <laughs> yes <laughs> the uh and my last question it's a dark crystal question i forgot to ask it earlier did you have to redub hup's voice because you were voicing him did the puppeteers who voiced their characters or was the miking good enough that you didn't have to go back and redub well so they had planned on redubbing the entire show no matter what so i think i i don't think they used any original production so even like they kept Neil's voice and Alice's voice, mm -hmm. um, and they kept Louise Gold's voice. Oh, Louise Gold, that's the other Skeksis. Yes. Oh, my God. How did I forget her? The Gourmand. The Gourmand, Oh, my God. Yes. Louise, Louise was in the original and the, uh, and the series. Oh, my God. I hope she did not uh, turn off this podcast in the middle and not know that I credited her at the end. <laughs> I'll make sure. Uh, yes. I almost just had a heart attack. I almost just had a heart attack. All right. Um, yes. So they dubbed all the voices, and with Hup in particular, um, they, the voice changed. Um, when I was originally doing it for, for uh, uh, nine months of the production, it was just my own voice, but a little bit higher. I didn't, I didn't have that, that kind of, like that little rasp that's in there. Mm -hmm. It was just um, me talking like, it's a bright moon, oh, it's a bright star. Like it was just kind of a, mm -hmm. maybe a younger, a younger sound. And um, Netflix, I think, my guess is they weren't really paying much attention to the voices at that point um, because they were looking at the visuals and thinking we'll be dubbing all this later. But when they started thinking about the voices, they, they weren't loving um, Hup that way. And so I ended up re-auditioning voices to find one that they did like. And so we found that um, uh, kind of older one, and we went a little more of a comedic direction with him. So I did uh, dub everything. And also with Hup, there was a question of how much English and how much podling there would be. Mm -hmm. So we, so we uh, changed a lot of what he said to, in some cases, add more English. Some cases, more podling was mostly adding more English. 
but um, but there was a lot of changes there. So yeah, we did we did have to uh, to ADR the whole thing. Well, that is a great place to sort of end this because I think HUP is kind of a see if you agree with this, kind of a microcosm for what puppetry does anyway. English, French, podling. When a puppet talks, if they're emoting right, you know what they're what they're saying. And you can have a whole conversation or listen to a whole monologue on a puppet and not understand a single word they say just by watching them. And you achieve that with Hup. And I can't wait for season two. I'm sure it'll get season two. And there will be more Hup, I am certain. Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Matt, thank you, man. That's, uh, again, super kind of you. I, I really appreciate it, buddy. Victor, thank you so very, very much for taking the time, and I'm sorry that we're now 10 months in <laughs> at two having done the interview and I, I haven't aired it. You are a stellar gentleman. You've been a good friend, and I really appreciate your patience, and I'm sorry that life kind of took a back seat. The thing about this is, and I waited till the end to talk about this. You can click away now because the episode's over, but I want to give you a little bit of a behind-the-scenes into how I work, everybody, with this and, and why this kind of happens. For about three years out of college, three, four, you know, two and a half, three years out of college, I didn't really have a routine. So I do something like a Victor Yarrett episode, and then, as I said at the top, life got in the way, a career opportunity got in the way, and I had to step away from Talk for Two for a little bit. Uh, in 2018, as many of you know, I had cardiac surgery. So anything that I had on the back burner there went out the door. From January to, to to June, I was all heart surgery, all those doctor's appointments, all those blood tests, getting good to go there and then recovering. Uh, so I have several episodes that I, I didn't air, and I can't find those files. It's a little too far back. Uh, actually, no, I shouldn't say that. I found some from 2017, but I know there are a couple in 2018 that I still have not been able to locate that I did over that time, but never aired because of the heart surgery. And again, I'm just going to ramble here. I have no script I'm reading or anything. So I thrive on routine. And that's the one thing that this quarantine has been really, really good for me is I know what my day is going to look like, sometimes down to the minute of when I'm going to do this, this, this or that. And that has allowed me back in April when I started doing Larry King. And then those of you that listen to the Music Universe podcast, we have a ton of episodes in the can. We have over 55 episodes in the can, about 48 of those we've done since the pandemic and since my coming back to my family home in Pennsylvania. So routine has been really, really good because I've been good about doing an interview a week and then airing an interview a week, an interview a week, and then airing an interview a week. So now that I'm back on this routine and I didn't realize how much I was faking myself into believing I was in a routine. The production schedule has normalized and I'm not, I'm never stepping away from it again. I will, I will make sure that I have my routine to keep doing this podcast. And so right now I'm just trying to make good on three years of absolute craziness uh, and not having that set routine to be able to sit down and get them out in a consistent manner. I kind of just did it when a big thing came along and aired it, and then sometimes I did a more evergreen one and something came along and I didn't air it. So this Vault series on, on Talk for Two is going to be about righting those wrongs and getting up a lot of those interviews that uh, have never aired, have never aired, and getting them up and really getting that back catalog in so that we're caught up to where we should be at this point. So with that said, remember, you can find us uh, at 
Talk for Two on Facebook, Twitter, at Talk for Two Pod on Instagram, iTunes, Stickter, Spotify, Talk for Two, Matt Bailey, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, you can reach out to me at Talk for Two Cast at gmail.com. Signing off, I'm Matt Bailey, reminding everyone out there to keep talking for two. You can hear more show business interviews with the stars at talkfor2.com.